So did you know that you can actually return Christmas presents? Let me set the stage. It's a couple of months before Christmas, 2020, and I really wanted to get my wife something good, something that I think that she has always wanted, a Mrs. Pac-Man game. Now, my wife, Wendy, is not a big gamer. We've been married 30 years. We did play some Mario games early in our marriage, and I remember coming home from classes in college. We were newlyweds. This would have been in 1990 or 1991, and we were playing one of the Mario games probably on the original Nintendo. I don't really remember the exact console. She was working to put me through school, and sometimes we would have just a few minutes between me getting home from school and her heading off to manage a women's clothing store in the mall. So we'd check in, see how far one of us got on Mario, and uh, pass along any tips or tricks that we thought the other might need to know that because we were starting to head our separate ways. And I continued, as many males do, to really enjoy playing video games. But as the consoles became more complex, the games more intense, Wendy didn't seem as excited about gaming over the years. And having a shared experience around a video game all but disappeared. That is, except when we found ourselves maybe playing Wii Tennis later on in life, or even today, or Mario Kart. But that's not the point of the intro. When we're out and about, Wendy has been known to routinely defeat me on a game called Mrs. Pac-Man, like to the point of frustration. I don't understand why I cannot beat her in this game, Mrs. Pac-Man. Regular Pac-Man, I've got a chance. And Mrs. Pac-Man, I don't know, she holds some power over me. So when I started seeing the stand-up arcade games go on sale for just a fraction of what their coin-operated ancestors went for, I knew I had to buy her one. I, I knew that she wanted one. I assumed she wanted one. So I had chased a few down over the years, but I had never pulled the trigger. But this year, I started looking early. I made a purchase, and the game arrived a few weeks early, and I could not wait to unveil it on Christmas. I think I'd already told all my kids, probably clients, anybody that would listen, except for Wendy, that she was going to be thrilled with the Mrs. Pac-Man game at Christmas. So fast forward to December 24th, our kids are older, so there wasn't really much to set up for the big day. But the night before, sure enough, as was the case in so many houses across the world, the kids could open one gift and surprise, it was pajamas. And they typically come with some sort of uh, slipper, uh, a house slipper. And I have some house shoes that I already like. So Wendy said that I didn't need to keep the ones that she bought. And I said, are you sure that won't hurt your feelings? And she said, no. And she set them aside and was all set to return them. No big deal. So as everybody got the PJs on, we took a family picture or two, and then she said, hey, so speaking of returns, I noticed the big box out in the garage. I noticed it's a Mrs. Pac-Man game, and that's so nice. But would you be offended if I wanted to return that? That that one hurt. (laughs) That one stung a bit. Didn't she know that I've been trying to track this thing down for years? I had spent probably hours trying to find a Mrs. Pac-Man game and finally finding one and and pulling the trigger, and it came. Didn't she realize she was going to be able to beat me routinely? and talk trash and rub it in my face, all the things that were fun and and uh, this uh, competition. And then I realized I had to practice what I preach as a, as a marriage and family therapist, as a, as a creator of the Magnetic Marriage Course, a course for better marriage communication. A few weeks ago, I put out an episode about the four pillars of a connected conversation. We're all human. We have our own experiences uh, that we bring to the table. And the goal of a connected marriage is to be heard. Not to be right, not to necessarily have to resolve anything, but it really is to be heard. So I had to mentally bust out my own four pillars of a connected conversation. Pillar one, assume good intentions. Nobody wakes up and thinks, you know, I want to hurt my partner. You don't have to get defensive, uh, go into your emotional bunker or to protect yourself, even if you have a hard time believing that, uh, that there are good intentions behind a message that your spouse is giving you. So when my wife said, I don't really think I would like Mrs. Pac-Man, pillar number one, assume good intentions. She's not trying to hurt me. Pillar number two, I cannot send the message, you're wrong. 
So when she says that she wasn't really uh, as excited about Mrs. Pac-Man as I probably thought, I can't say, no, 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 you always beat me. You, you like it. I couldn't put across that message. Pillar three, ask questions. So I had to say, hey, tell me more about that. Uh, kind of fill me in, bring me up to speed. And she let me know that that really wasn't uh, something that she was necessarily excited about. If we were going to buy a big console or arcade game for the game room, let's get something that the kids would like. My youngest son is still in the home. Maybe uh, saw some an antique NBA jam or one of those kind of games. So she said, I'm, I'm happy to return mine and we get something that, uh, that kids would want to play. And number four, uh, pillar four, I can't go into my bunker. I have to stay present. I have to lean into the conversation. I can't say, fine, I guess I'll never try to buy you a gift again, as so often is the case. So not, not often necessarily is the case that I do, but I think we all do that where we get our feelings hurt and we say, fine, I was just trying to do something nice, but I guess it doesn't matter. No, I had to lean in and, and tell her, I appreciate that. I, I was then able to share with her my train of thought, where I was coming from. I felt heard, she felt heard, and it was time to return the game. Now, uh, a day or two passed and Wendy started the return process only to find out that in my naivete, I saw that there was a return policy from where I purchased the game, but I didn't read it. So we were responsible for the return shipping for this incredibly heavy, large device and a restocking fee. So I believe it would eventually actually cost us money to return the game. So yeah, if you're ever in our neck of the woods and you're hankering for some Mrs. Pac-Man, well, we're the place to go. So today I'm going to lay out a couple of real-world scenarios with the four pillars of a connected conversation. I have received an insane amount of emails after releasing this episode about the four pillars of a connected conversation. So many that people are saying that even just the concept of four pillars, of knowing that there is a better way to communicate has been a game changer, no pun intended. So today we're gonna to take a look at what that looks like to put these four pillars into action. How difficult it can be to have a goal of being heard instead of trying to resolve. So we're gonna cover that and so much more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. So 247 of The Virtual Couch, I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father for ultra marathon runner and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people stop turning to pornography as a coping mechanism. It is a strength-based, hold the shame, become the person you always wanted to be program. And if you head over to pathbackrecovery.com or you go over to tonyoverbay.com, you can find a link to, to go to my courses, you will have access to download a book, uh, a little ebook, five myths that people make when trying to put pornography behind them once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And the new, the revamped Pathback Recovery program features a weekly group call Wednesday evenings. It has been an incredible thing. As it continues to grow, there is quite a community and it, it is a, a strength-based model. I am telling you, if you have tried to, to stop turning to porn when you're feeling hungry, angry, lonely, tired, when you're feeling less than, if that has been something that's been uh, deeply rutted into your neuropathways for a long time, give this a shot. I'm telling you, the strength-based model is, is the way to go. 
And I, when I was promoting my book, he's a porn addict. Now what an expert and a former addict answer all your questions. I think at that time I was uh, done the math and I was helping letting people know I'm about 1500, 1600 individuals and working with them one-on-one and helping them put pornography behind them as a coping mechanism. And uh, I am over 1500 or over 1600 and having shame be a component of recovery. So give it a shot. And let's get to this. The magnetic marriage course, I mentioned this last week, it uh, sold out in just a few hours. And and I was incredibly humbly grateful for the support. And one of the biggest components of the magnetic marriage course is these four pillars of a connected conversation. And these are based off of the emotionally focused therapy model by Sue Johnson. EFT, as I've mentioned so many times on my podcast, has been an absolute game changer. I would not be a couples therapist had I not learned the skills and tools of emotionally focused therapy. But then with the help of my friend Preston Pugmire, we took these principles and then put them in very tangible homework situations where you can apply these four pillars and a lot of other things in this magnetic marriage course and uh, to be able to communicate more effectively, to be able to have a more magnetic marriage. So I've gotten a lot of emails and people have wanted to know more about what this looks like out in the wild. So I had a couple of things today. And one of them, the first thing I want to open up with is the story of the birthday party. And I really feel like this one's going to resonate. When I talk about receiving emails, I still feel very fortunate and blessed that I get a lot of emails about podcast episodes. And particularly around Christmas, I received a handful of emails around, it was primarily women who felt a bit underappreciated, that they had put themselves out there a lot with Christmas preparation, um, Christmas planning, and maybe had not felt as appreciated. And even to the point where Saturday Night Live had a really funny skit, I'll have to put the link in my show notes, that was about how much uh, mom does for Christmas. And then she, I think it, it says she gets a robe, but then the kids have all these amazing things. Even the dog got a bunch of things and mom was forgotten, even though she's the orchestrator of all things Christmas. And so a lot of times people can feel un- unappreciated. So I want to lay out the, here's the first scenario where I want to put the four pillars of a connected conversation into play. But why I love this example is because this one also speaks to something that I have been so passionate about the last few weeks. And that is the concepts of what abandonment and attachment issues look like moving forward in your life as an adult. So forgive me, but I am going to lay out the speech now that I feel like I give anyone and everyone almost on a daily basis. I swear my one-on-one counseling, my one-on-one therapy, when somebody says, hey, so what's uh, what's on tap? What are we going to talk about today? I say, let me give you the abandonment and attachment speech and because that will frame a lot of the things that we're going to talk about. And if somebody stops me at the store and says, sir, can I help you? I can say, have you heard about how your abandonment and attachment issues affect you in your adult life? This is how passionate I am about this. So let me go. As I'm sitting up in my chair. Matter of fact, if you haven't done so yet, I would be I'd be honored if you would go find the Virtual Couch YouTube channel and subscribe. And I just, again, sat up in my chair because I'm, I'm ready to give this speech. Here we go. So we are born as little pink, squishy babies. From the factory, we are programmed to cry, to emote, to express our needs. Because if we do not express our needs, if someone doesn't feed us, clean us, hold us, then we will die. So in our wiring of our brain is this concept of abandonment equals death. Now, if we go into these stages of development, uh, psychologists like to talk about them. If we're going into this maybe zero to two years old, then you can see that factory setting, uh, baby emotes, baby cries, and then their needs are met. And needs are met 
because if needs are not met, that is abandonment and abandonment equals death. So let's move into the next stage of life, next stage of development at two to seven years old. This is where I start to say, welcome to the world of abandonment. Sounds dramatic, but what does abandonment look like at that point? Abandonment looks, hey, you can't stay up past your past bedtime, can't have candy before dinner. We're not going to go to Disneyland every weekend. You can't have that toy that you see on TV. And so that looks like abandonment. And, and why I love talking about this now so much is we're looking at this moving forward. So from zero to two with the wiring set of abandonment equals death. Now, when we move into two to seven, now we, we can see that for a kid brain, we're, we're moving through these stages of development. So as we come from zero to two with abandonment equals death, and then we get into two to seven, and now everything starts to feel like abandonment. Because now for a kid, I am now emoting. Matter of fact, I'm emoting a lot better. I can actually use these words that I one moment will get praised for. And the next minute I'm saying candy before dinner, please. And on that one, people say, no, no buddy, no candy before dinner. So all of a sudden it's, wait a minute, what? I don't understand. When I emote, then my needs get met. So what this two to seven year old doesn't realize, or even seven to 12 or those kind of stations, matter of fact, some adults is that when you're in that two to seven year old kid brain, every kid is a little narcissist, <laughs> bless their heart. They're egocentric. They think the world revolves around them because it has, it literally has revolved around them and they don't have a way to express themselves. They don't have a way to self-advocate. And then they also don't have empathy, no judgment there, but you don't have empathy if the world has revolved around you. It's uh, deep, right? So then from this two to seven, welcome to the world of abandonment. All of a sudden the kids are thinking, well, I don't understand why people are not meeting my needs. It doesn't make any sense. So here's where I then like to say there's two tracks. If you're watching on the video, I, I, I got my hands going crazy here. I talk about the abandonment track. What does that look like? So now slowly but surely, people then throughout my life are going to start not meeting my needs. We're talking about through childhood, throughout adolescence, as a kid, my friends, people that I date, then eventually my spouse, people at work. Why are people not doing what I need them to do? And even as adults, even though we know okay, everybody's got their own lives, they've got their own stuff. Why does it still hurt us when people aren't doing the things we want? It's because of this wiring from the brain, zero to two, abandonment equals death. When I emote, people meet my needs. So what that abandonment track starts to look like is this concept of if people aren't meeting my needs, it's gotta be me. So I must be unlovable. I must be broken. There's gotta be something I can do to get people to meet my needs. Because again, we're moving forward from childhood with this thought of, I, I, they, people jump when I ask as a baby. And so I just don't understand this. Now there's the abandonment. And that's where I'd like to say, if you jump into any of my podcasts, go search for uh, virtual couch and acceptance and commitment therapy, because this is where I say, no, you are not broken. You're not unlovable. You're, you're human. You've got all the experiences that have led you up to that moment. And so of course it's going to feel frustrating, but we're coming at this adult life often bringing forth our childhood coping mechanisms and our childhood solutions, problem-solving skills. But now we bring them into adulthood and we wonder why we aren't getting our needs met. So that abandonment track, again, we feel like it must be us. And here's what this can look like as an adult. It can look like, okay, if my wife isn't meeting my needs, it's got to be me. So maybe if I can get the six-pack abs, maybe if I can start making a six-figure salary, maybe if we can get a cooler house, I don't know, maybe if I can wear nicer clothes, then she'll dig me. Then my needs will be met. So do you see where that's coming? It's coming still from this childhood um, abandonment track. Now, over on the other track, we've got attachment. What does that look like? This one makes so much sense now to me is the more I study these abandonment and attachment patterns. 
So for there, if abandonment equals death coming forward from this zero to two-year-old, then from that day forward, here's where we see, man, this kid has got to figure out how to get their needs met. How do they show up? How do they maneuver certain situations so that people will like them? Because if people like them, then they will meet their needs. If people like them, they won't boot them out of the tribe. They won't leave them out on their own. And this is this pre-programmed evolutionary biology piece of the brain that says, if I am not a part of the tribe, if I am booted out of the tribe, then some saber-toothed tiger is going to devour me. So I've got to do what's right to not be abandoned because remember, abandonment equals death. So in this attachment track, how do I show up? Uh, will I get more um, attention if I'm the smart kid? Will I get more attention if I'm the peacemaker? Will I get more attention if I'm the quiet one? Will I get more attention actually if I am the, the scholar, the athlete? Or what if I'm the rebel? And I feel, and I have to be really vulnerable, therapist, vulnerable, raw, authentic, those sort of things. I know that the therapist in me knows the right thing to say at times where you say we all crave attention, be it positive or negative. And I can come up with slight examples as an adult where I come home, nobody's really paying attention to me, and I pick things out of a pan that my wife's cooking on or maybe even spank her bottom a little bit in a playful way, and all of a sudden she reacts. Hey, geez, what? And I just think, okay, I guess I just want attention. And I used to think, ah, there it is, positive or negative attention. But where does that originate? Go back to this abandonment equals death. If I am the rebellious kid or the rebellious teenager, and that's the only way that my parents react, that reaction, even though it's negative, means they they recognize me, they notice me, and that means I am not abandoned because abandonment equals death. That was all just a warm-up to talk about this scenario. Now we go to the scenario of the birthday party, and this one is so common. I will often get emails or process in a session where let's just take in the scenario. It's a wife who says, my husband didn't do anything for my birthday. They forgot my birthday. Maybe it's been again. And so that hurts. That can hurt uh, a spouse. And I understand that. And this is the part where because of we all have our own private experiences, all of our nature and nurture, birth order, DNA, abandonment, rejection, all the things that make us human. So if we feel hurt or we feel let down, because our husband forgot our birthday. Maybe forgot our birthday again. It's going to hurt. We're human. There's nothing wrong. But we can't just, no, no, just choose to not have it hurt. That's That doesn't always work. If it does, that's great. But again, we're human beings. But here's where things get interesting. So first, we can apply these four pillars of a connected conversation. That would be the first thing that I recommend. And, and I've processed many of these conversations with couples in session. So if the wife says, hey, it hurt my feelings that you forgot my birthday then often the husband will immediately go into defense mode. Well, you forget things too, or you know, well, you're not very appreciative of the things I do. And so we can already see that conversation is going nowhere. And that typically is the pattern that couples fall into. That's the, the tit for tat. There's also a pursue withdrawal where then the wife may get very aggressive and say, I cannot believe that you forgot my birthday again. And the husband will just retreat, withdraw, don't say a word because soon it'll be over. I'll hunker down in my bunker. Or then there's, uh, again, there's these unhealthy patterns of negative communication. So put this birthday scenario through the four pillars of a connected conversation. The wife is hurt, but then if she goes to her husband and says, okay, I have to assume good intentions. I have to assume that he did not wake up and think, oh, it's her birthday. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to forget it. Or I'm going to show her that I'm going to pretend I'm forgetting it because that'll show her. We have to remove the concept of assuming bad intentions. Even if you don't necessarily believe that's the case. That's why the word assume is there, assuming good intentions, because it is. if you want to just go ahead and say, no, I think that you are trying to hurt me, that conversation is done. 
And we already know what that conversation is going to look like. For many couples, that's the way that they communicate. Then they argue and they fight. Then it goes a couple of days. Things get a little bit uh, calmer. And then they don't know how to address the topic that just the thing that just happened and they move forward. And that's not the way to grow closer. That's why the paradigm shift, the goal is to be heard, not to resolve. So here we go. So if she assumes good intentions, he didn't mean to hurt me. And then if, if he said, okay, I, I forgot. Or if he says, I just really feel like you really don't care what I do. It doesn't matter. It's never enough. She can't put this vibe across. Don't send the message. Pillar number two, that I don't believe you or you're wrong. Again, even if she in her mind feels like, I don't believe what he's saying right there. Number three, it's pillar three, ask questions before making comments. So your job for both partners is to listen and ask questions. Because remember, the goal of a connected conversation is to be heard, not to resolve. And this will feel, let me, I will go big on this. It will feel counterintuitive at first, but this is a big trust the process concept. This is an opportunity for you to explore and learn about your spouse, what makes them tick, how do they arrive at their conclusions, uh, this is where you'll go uh, to, you'll learn how to go on their train of thought. So I'm going to ask questions. Hey, tell me about forgetting my birthday. And this is one where if you get this, these four pillars down and you start to feel safe and emotionally vulnerable, you're still allowed to have your emotions and feelings. You can be frustrated, you can be hurt, but know that as you bring that to your partner, then when we're on this pillar three, so I've assumed good intentions. He didn't forget on purpose or to try to hurt me. I can't tell him I, I don't believe what you're telling me. And I need to ask questions and say, Hey, tell me about that. What was the sporting like? Did you remember a few days ago? Did you know, tell me about that. And here's where if the guy really does say, I don't know, I don't know why I do that. I just get so caught up in things. Or if it's a, I, I put it on my calendar, then I forgot to get you something. I feel shame and embarrassment. I want, I go to the office and I feel, man, I got to find a gift for you fast because I, I can't acknowledge it if I don't have anything for you. Even if you feel like that's not uh, true, but if that's his experience, then, okay, hey, I appreciate you sharing that. And then pillar number four, stay present, lean in. If this is the wife delivering this, she, if she's the, the listener right now, then she may want to say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I, I guess I'm apparently I don't matter enough, so don't even worry about it. No, because at that point, you can do the first three pillars of assuming good intentions, not sending the message of you're wrong or I don't believe you, asking questions before making comments and have that all go wonderfully. And then forget to do the fourth pillar and go into this victim mode of it uh, doesn't, I guess I don't matter. Don't worry. I don't ever, you don't need to do anything again. Cause at that point you, as when one falls into kind of that victim mode, what they're saying is, okay, come rescue me. I'm obviously uh, not worth your um, attention. I'm, I'm a bad person. So come rescue me. So stay four, uh, pillar four, stay present, lean in. Even if it's the, Hey, I appreciate you sharing that again, you're allowed to have your emotions. And now you become speaker and he becomes listener. So for you, now it's it, the roles are reversed in a very positive way. Now I'm going to help him assume good intentions. So when you say that hurt my feelings, you're not trying to hurt him. You are expressing your feelings that hurt my feelings. I feel like I do a lot for the family, but yet I feel like people don't, they don't care. Now he can't jump into, he has to stay in pillar two. He can't say that's ridiculous or I don't believe you. Because if he does, that's going to shut the conversation down as well. Because a lot of times if a wife emotes that she feels like nobody cares or she, she nobody pays attention or she's not appreciated, he can easily pull a lot of, no, we do. We appreciate you and all the things you do. And I'll tell you all these wonderful things that you do. But that's telling her you're wrong. That's telling her, I don't believe what you're saying. I, I'm not validating your thoughts or opinions or emotions. So that pillar two becomes important to not tell her you're wrong. You're wrong about that. 
which then leads into his pillar three of asking questions. Hey, tell me what, how you feel about that. And that can be hard. This is where I, and I'm a guy. So this is really, I think that guys have a hard time. They don't know a lot of empathetic statements or questions to ask them in the magnetic marriage course. We've got a whole bunch of those of uh, things. You know, tell me more about that. What's that like? How long have you felt this way? Uh, give me some more examples. Have you felt this way? What was this a pattern in your childhood or tell me more, not trying to fix, not trying to judge, but just trying to understand, which is again, a paradigm shift. It's hard. The male brain, let me go super nerdy for two seconds. There's two places where we process emotion in the brain. There's the mirror neuron system, the MNS, and the temporal parietal junction, TPJ. And the TPJ, temporal parietal junction, is responsible for cognitive empathy of what do we do about that. The mirror neuron system is uh, responsible for emotional empathy of tell me more about that. And when I go speak in front of crowds and I've got men and women present, I often say, do you know that males and females both have the mirror neuron system and the temporal parietal junction? And there's data that shows that a man, uh, emotions for men or thoughts for men make a quick pass through this mirror neuron system. But then when they don't feel like the tell me more about that or that emotional empathy is very helpful, they jump right into cognitive empathy of what can I do about it? So men, we are capable of understanding, sitting present and understanding and listening and and even having uh, this magical empathy that, that we hear so much about. So in this scenario, then having the person ask questions, stay, and then staying present and leaning in. I think that's where I was going. That pillar four can be really difficult because when a guy, when he's feeling like, wow, no, I, I, that isn't true. I, I do appreciate you. I just, I forget. I get caught up in things or, and notice that this is all absent. What the four pillars are amazing for is this is absent of the, you don't appreciate me. I don't see you doing much on my birthday. And so in that scenario, staying present, leaning and not going into victim mode, not saying, fine, I'm the world's worst husband, because that's where a lot of guys go, because they want the wife to say, no, no, I appreciate all you do. And, and I shouldn't have even brought it up. Because after a conversation like this, we both feel heard. The wife can feel like, okay, I, I don't feel appreciated. And, and it would be nice if you did more for around my birthday or remembered me. And but then the guy, if he's not being attacked, he doesn't go into that reactive mode. That psychological reactance, that instant negative reaction of being told what to do. And so we're going to walk away from that conversation, not only not arguing, but I think what couples don't even realize when they don't have this model in place is that the absence of not arguing is not, or the absence of when you don't argue, it doesn't mean you just didn't argue. It means now you walk away from a conversation, not feeling defensive, not feeling shut down. And you now start to think of, oh, wow, okay, that I didn't realize that, or I didn't know that she cared that much about something that she just shared. Because we're so used to being in fight, flight, or freeze mode after an argument where, that we walk away saying, I can't believe she said that. Or next time, I'm going to say this. Or I'll show her. I'm going to give her the silent treatment for a while. Or any of those kind of things. So in this scenario, in, in this birthday scenario, now I want to go back to abandonment and attachment. Because those four pillars, I think, are a way to have the conversation. But what dawned on me a few days ago while I was processing a session somewhat like this is now let's go back to even that, hey, I, my birthday's coming up in a week. Is anybody going to do anything about it? I'm not going to say anything. Is anybody going to do anything about it? It hit me. That is one of those examples of our childhood abandonment and attachment wounds, coping mechanisms, defense mechanisms coming forth into adulthood. So when we realize that when people aren't meeting our needs, it's not because we're bad. It's not because we're broken. It's not because we're unlovable. It's because we're human. And people, we're, we are, we're in this imperfect world with imperfect people, and everyone is trying to just do what they feel is the, the best way to, to do life. 
And that attachment piece where it's how do I show up in certain scenarios? Who do I need to be in order to not be abandoned, to get my needs met? And so in that scenario, now we're adults. Guess what? You, and I'm saying this in a very positive, very empowering, strength-based way, as an adult, you now get to be in charge of getting your needs met. You now get to be in charge of what you want to happen with your life. You are now an adult. You are our captain of your own ship. I know it's not that easy when you even get these concepts down, but this is where I said to this person, so if you want something done about your birthday, then you get to say, hey, everybody, it's seven days till mom's birthday. You got to start getting you got to start getting ready. I, I, this is a big one for me. I, I want something big happening. I'm going to Hawaii, whether you guys are going or not, or five days left. Please, someone check a little box on the dry erase marker in the kitchen. If a cake has been purchased, if not, I am buying a cake. I will have cake on my birthday. Or And, and I feel like that causes us to feel like, oh, but that, I shouldn't have to do that. Or that doesn't feel genuine. And those are these stories our brain is telling us because that is vulnerable. That is scary because, you know, what if I, does that mean that no one loves me? Does that mean that I don't matter? Does that mean that I'm unlovable? No, that's that stuff that you're bringing forth from childhood. Again, it's not that you're unlovable. It's not that you're broken. It's you're human. And so are the people around you. So if you want something to happen, then it's okay to express your needs. And this is where I think that a lot of times we're so worried about expressing that in a very negative or emotionally toxic way that we just stay away from even trying to express our needs or our emotions. I feel like there is, if you're looking on the YouTube channel now, I feel like there's this pendulum where we are so almost programmed for this passivity because we just want to be nice and we just want to be in because we feel like if I show up nice, I'm going to get my needs met. If I show up nice, then people are going to care about me and they're going to do all the things that, that I desire. But at no fault to humans in general, a part of the human experience, the human existence, we can be as nice as we want to be. And that doesn't mean that people are going to say, oh my gosh, that person's so nice. I want to go meet their needs. As a matter of fact, at times when people are being this, there's a book called Human Magnet Syndrome that says pathological kindness. So if people are being pathologically nice or kind, then that can often leave them feeling like something is wrong with them when people don't reciprocate. But often in the process of being pathologically nice or pathologically kind, we almost make it so easy for others that they aren't even aware of the efforts that you put in. They aren't even aware of the efforts of the pathologically kind person. So they don't know how much effort that took. And so they often don't reciprocate or even express gratitude for what someone has done. One of these pathologically nice or kind people. My wife legitimately is the nicest person that I know. And I often watch her, and I'm not just saying that, but I often watch her put herself out there and just spend hours thinking about others. And and she doesn't complain about people aren't meeting her needs, but I often feel like, man, why aren't more people appreciative? Or maybe the kids at times that don't know all that she does behind the scenes, why don't they let her know or express that gratitude? And I think at times it's because they don't even know because she does make it look so easy. We, If we want those needs met, then we can now ask for those needs to be met. This birthday example, I when I run into a lot with men, if I'm being honest as well, is if let's say the guy's love language is physical touch and he likes holding his wife's hand, but then he starts to feel like, man, I'm the only one that's reaching out to hold my wife's hand. And I'll be, this has been me. And so then if she's not the one now reaching out and, and man, I feel like guys listening to this are going to identify maybe even women if, it, if the roles have been reversed. 
where there were times when I almost feel like in my emotional immaturity where I would think, oh, I'll show her. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold her hand for a week and I'll see if she then reaches out and holds my hand. Well, she's failing to test. She didn't even know she was taken. She could just be cruising on along, having a great time. We're driving somewhere and I'm not holding her hand. I bet she's, boy, she's probably upset. No, she didn't know she was even failing that test, but who's upset? Me. If I want to hold her hand, I can reach out and hold her hand. That's what getting our own needs met. That's what it looks like. It's not this toxic, I will demand my needs met. It's a, hey, I matter enough. I'm human. I'm an adult. I am no longer going to use these childhood coping mechanisms and childhood defense mechanisms in my adulthood. If I want to hold her hand, I'll hold her hand. And I'll do it with kindness and confidence and gentleness and love. So I just wanted to take you through that scenario. I actually have a part B, and and I'll hold this one for a future episode of a, we'll call it, it has to do with another birthday party and a situation where assumptions were, were not assumed to be good. And I am making no sense. I may even edit this part out, but I realize that this, this episode's starting to get, I will do a bonus episode coming up in a week or two where I'm going to share another example, a very solid example of putting the four pillars in action. So I wish you the best this week. I hope that, it, that if you have thoughts, questions, comments, examples where these four pillars are starting to work for you, feel free to shoot me an email and let me know at contact at tonyoverbay.com. And the next round of Preston and my magnetic marriage course is, is coming. It's going to be in a few weeks. And so if you go to tonyoverbay.com, sign up to find out more about that, that you'll be the first to learn when the next you know, window opens, the cart opens, and, and you can get in on this thing. We're two, three weeks into the current magnetic marriage course and the group calls have been amazing. The modules have been amazing. There's, it's just, it's been incredible. And it's founded on these four pillars of a connected conversation. I didn't do my betterhelp.com ad this week. I don't know if anybody's still sticking around, but if you are, are looking for a counselor and you are having a hard time finding one in real, real life, then head over to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. And you can find a therapist that uh, will help you in, in a variety of ways with anxiety, depression, OCD, even just processing some of the last year of 2020, or maybe even getting you in, in alignment with some future goals now that uh, hopefully the world's starting to open back up again. There's a lot that people have gone through over this last year. And so maybe now is the time to reach out, find some help, talk to a therapist. I, I don't think there's anything negative that can happen from that. Betterhelp.com slash virtual couch gets you 10, 10% off your first month's services. And uh, they have very a really impressive way to fill out some information and be matched up with a counselor in your area. It's a licensed counselor in your state. And you can communicate through video, you can communicate through text, email, all kinds of things. So if you haven't taken the time to, to do some emotional self-care, then uh, give betterhelp.com slash virtual couch a, a chance. All right. I will see you next time on the virtual couch. Compressed emotions flying past, our heads and out the other end, the pressures of the day. Aside the things that matter most is why